from the Midwest, from the cornfields to the oil fields here in California to help you celebrate our great God and Savior. Hallelujah. How many churches can say they're still holding on to truth and still holding on to the standard and still having revival after 80 years? We are rejoicing with you and we thank God for what he's doing on this side of the vineyard. Men... Men have good churches and good gardens for the same reason. Work. And watching somebody else's garden doesn't keep the weeds out of yours. Hallelujah. And I pray that this church goes on another 80 years should the Lord tarry. Moses didn't get started until he was 80 years old. And look at the great things that God did for him. And I trust the same for this church as well. This church has proven to be an oasis for me. Where, I, where I'm from in northern Michigan, the name I.H. Terry was heroic for what he did here in Bakersfield. Hallelujah. The church I evangelized out of got their peanut brittle recipe from this church. Someone asked, Brother Stevens, what's, your, what's that parking lot made out of, asphalt? He said, no, it's made out of peanut brittle. But he got the recipe right here in Bakersfield. And, and uh, of course, I'm, I'm from northern Michigan, very proud of it. If, if you don't believe me, just ask me and I'll tell you. And if you don't ask me, I'll still tell you. But we, were, we had the elder up, up there. He preached mortgage burning service for Brother Kreider with, with the old Brother Boffman. They had to share a, a house and, and a room. And every time Brother Terry had to go in the restroom, Brother Boffman got it before him. And he came out and said, this is like the pool of Bethesda here. Somebody always beats him to the restroom before he could, before he could get to it. Amen. I want to give honor to Bishop Frost, who has been a dear friend of mine for many years. I sure do love him and appreciate him. And your pastor. You are so blessed to have a tremendous man of God in this pulpit. How many appreciate their pastor? If you love the master, you'll love your pastor. Amen. You better keep a relationship with your pastor. He's the most important person in your life. It's when you're born, he dedicates you. And when you get married, he officiates over you. And when you die, he buries you. So he's there when you're hatched, when you're matched, and when you're dispatched. So you better keep a good relationship with your pastor. Listen, Bakersfield, I preach. I have the honor of preaching in many places. And I'm not just saying this lightly because, I've, I've, of course, I've preached here and I've preached with your, your pastor. You would never have to go to another conference again with the preaching that you get from this pulpit. You have a pastor that men fly all over the world to hear. So you ought to be faithful the three, four times a week you have church here. Praise God. Amen. I love the Bradford family and Brother Peyton and Sister London. and They preached for me. And, and Paisley, she hadn't preached for me yet. I don't even know if that's allowed, but uh, you never know. Man, I want to give honor to all the ministry. Good to be with one of my favorite preachers, Bishop Bass. He's, he's so encouraging to me. He always says things to me like, McDonald, out of all the sermons I heard you preach, that was one of them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I see a lot of good elders and friends out in, in the pew, and I, I really wish it was you preaching and, and not me. Good to see Brother Joe Booker. Sure do love him. And uh, I'm going to show you white man can jump here in just a moment. And I'm going to be standing longer than you. But uh, if you'll help me, we can get out of here and go eat in a, in a decent time. 80 years. I want to preach from a songbook tonight. Okay, well, that's that went over well. It's the book of Psalms. Psalm 22. Boy, all the air was sucked out of the room when I said that. When... Psalm 22. What a tremendous honor it is to, to try to do my part to, 
help honor this great church. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why? Anybody who tells you that you're not allowed to ask questions, evidently Jesus didn't get the memo. You can bring your questions to God. Here it's prophetic and it's fulfilled. And the man Christ Jesus asked God, why? Have you ever read the book of Job? I got some people, they're afraid to read Job because they think it's Job. In fact, I lost one guy in my church. I said, turn to the book of Job. He didn't hear me and he saw a job and he left. But somebody counted. Job asked God 181 questions. But God asked Job 184. So I promise you, God's got more questions for you than you do him. Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And uh, I want to preach from the third verse. Thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. God inhabits the praises of Israel. It literally means he's seated in the midst of the praises of Israel. Or he's enthroned in the praises of Israel. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, and I'm trusting with the help of you, I'd like to preach on this 80th church anniversary service, the enthroned lamb. Set your Bibles down. We've, we've given great worship and praise to God. Could you lift your voice one more time unto the Lord, hallelujah, and worship him, for he is Lord. Praise God. Oh, it just feels right to give God praise. You know, when you're doing this, you're functioning at optimum level. You're doing what you were created to do. To give God praise. Amen. God bless you this evening. You may be seated. Are you going to help me tonight? You got to holler at a brother every now and then. All right? Because when you're doing this, I can't hear your head rattle. You got to talk to me. All right? The last book of our New Testament is aptly called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, it is not the revelation of John. It's not a book revealing John the Beloved. It's the unfolding, the unveiling, and the revealing of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's not the book of revelations. It is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Reading the contents of the revelation, Jesus is the one we should be looking for. And he is the one that we should see. And he doesn't come out of the pages kicking and screaming. He's there from beginning to end. How can anyone tell me they know who the Antichrist is? if they don't even know who the Lord's Christ is. And when I read Revelation, though he may be there, I'm not looking for Antichrist. I'm looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. As John writes this apocalyptic book, it's, he divides it into four large visionary sequences and encounters. Interestingly enough, each vision and each encounter is marked with the same phrase or the same expression. In Revelation 1 in 10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In the Spirit. Revelation 4, 2, and immediately I was in the Spirit. There it is again, in the Spirit. 17 and 3, John said, so he carried me away in the Spirit. And finally in 2 and 21 and 10, John said he carried me away in 
the Spirit. In Revelation 4, the revelator is summoned by a trumpeted voice and he's raptured by the Spirit. In an experience not unlike the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 1 of his book, John passes through a door into the sky, into the very heaven of God, bidden and summoned and welcomed by an invitation that I believe the Holy Ghost is giving to this church today on its 80th church anniversary service. Come up higher and I will show you things which must be hereafter. I don't believe the church's best days are behind us. If we believe that, we might as well get drunk, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The best revival is not behind us. Okay, I'm going to try it over here on this side of the church because half of you look unimpressed. The best preachers haven't preached yet. The best missionary hadn't been called yet. Oh, hallelujah to God. This church hasn't seen its greatest revival yet. I believe if we'll do what the Holy Ghost is bidding us to do, if we'll come up higher, God will show us things which must be hereafter. Praise God. I thank God for the past, and I honor our heritage, and I honor our elders, and none of us would be here if it wasn't for them. The past is a good place to learn from, but it's a horrible place to live. Everything about the church, hallelujah, is moving forward. The church is a prophetic body that cannot be static. This cannot be freeze-framed. We have got to move forward in Jesus' name. Look, I don't mean to be rude and I don't mean to be ugly, but there's some people in Pentecost, if 1965 ever comes back, they're going to be ready. But you know what? 1965 is not coming back. We've got to have revival today. We've got to have a move of God today. I wish I had some Pentecostals to help me preach. These young people need to see what you saw back then. They need to experience what you experienced back then. I want my kids to see miracles. I want my kids to see revival. How are we going to do it? We've got to accept the invitation to come up higher. And if you come up higher, I'll show you things which must be hereafter. Just sit down. It's not that good. Really, it's not. Everything about God is a coming up higher. Isaiah saw him. No doubt being related to the king. Hallelujah. Had special entrance and whatever. But in a visionary encounter, the prophet said when he saw him, he was high. And he was lifted up. And when he got into his presence, his holy wow was turned into a holy woe. For he realized the God that he served was not a lowly God in a downtrodden God. But he was a God that was high and lifted up. And that God that's high and lifted up is consistently and constantly wanting to pull his people up higher. Oh, hallelujah. I'm thankful that he pulled us out of sin. Well, praise God. I guess everybody else came out of their mother's womb talking in tongues. You didn't crawl out of that bar room. I don't want to hear how you found Jesus. You didn't find anything. He found you. You didn't crawl, you didn't crawl out of that hole of sin. He reached down and pulled you up. I know it's old-fashioned, but it worked 80 years ago in Bakersfield, and it'll work again here today in 2023. You must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. What does that do? It pulls you up. It lifts you up. And everything about this has come up higher. Is there anybody in Bakersfield, California, that feels the pull of God? Say, bring me up higher. That's why, that's why 
That's why when God calls his people and he reveals things to them in the Bible, he always tells them to go to a mountain. That's right. The Old and New Testament, full of men that God called to a high place so he could show them some things. Adam had his mountain. It was Eden's garden. That was the holy mountain of God. That was God's temple. At that time, that was the highest place on the earth. Adam had his mountain. Noah had his mountain. He had Mount Ararat. Abraham had Moriah. Moses had Sinai. And before the Lord took him out of this world to the next, he had Mount Nebo. Solomon had the Temple Mount. Elijah had Carmel. Even our Lord had many mountains in his earthly ministry. Jesus had the Mount of Temptation. He had the Mount of Beatitudes. He had the Mount of Transfiguration. He had the Mount of Olives. And he had the Mount called Calvary. Hallelujah. And you and I have a mountain. We're the church. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says we have come to a mount. And you know what mount it is? It's not Eden. It's greater than Eden. Uh, I thought I had somebody that believed the Bible here. It's not Ararat. It's greater than Ararat. I tell you what, the temple's pretty impressive. But this mountain that I'm going to tell you that we're a part of is greater than the temple mount. We have come to Mount Zion. What is Mount Zion? You're sitting in Mount Zion right now. Mount Zion is the church. I want to tell you something. There's nothing greater than the church. It doesn't get any higher than when you're in the church. This is the best thing going this side of eternity. You want to talk about a high? There's no high like the most high. It doesn't get any higher than the, okay, I'm sorry. I'm locked out and I need help. Amen. I'm still doing lines. I'm doing the lines of God's word. How do you, when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to know where my conscience is. And I know where the keys to my vehicle are. And I'm drinking new wine, but I don't get a hangover. It pulls me up. It brings me closer to God. Come up higher. Is there anybody that will worship the Lord for a moment just for the fact that you are in the Mount Zion? It shall come to pass, Isaiah said in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. If you're going to see the things that are going to come hereafter, you've got to come up higher. Abraham, Abraham was an old man. Amen. But God commissioned him. And he made his trek up Mount Moriah as an old man. Now, I, I don't mean to mess with you. And, and this is why they don't let me preach in some places. Because at the offset, I make all kinds of enemies. But, but I just believe the Bible. It's like one man said, why let the Bible ruin a good sermon? <laughs> you know, there's, there's no good sermons without the Bible. And, and it used to bother me when I evangelized and... You know, pastor and preach out. I don't have a bunch of fluff to preach. And I don't have a bunch of stories to preach. I found out the word works. You know why this church is here for 80 years? The word works. Because you had an old preacher with a backbone like a saw log that came from the south. Hallelujah. And he was horseradish strong on the new birth. And horseradish strong on the Godhead. Hallelujah. And the bishop is the same. And Brother Bradford is the same. Hallelujah. If that's what we're going to be and that's what we're going to do, we've got to keep the same message and the same spirit and the same passion. It's the word. Okay, so, so this is where you're not going to amen me. I know, I already figured that in my notes. When I say this, they are not going to amen me. You don't even have to think. I'm doing the thinking for you. Abraham never called God Jehovah Jireh. That's, that's what I thought. See, you're doing exactly what my, 
my notes say. He didn't call God Jehovah Jireh. He called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. Okay, okay, you, you were just shouting a minute ago, you believed the word. Hallelujah. Why, why did he call the name of the place Jehovah Jireh? Because in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In other words, there are things I want to show you, Abraham, that unless you get in this mountain, you're not going to see them. Amen. You can try to go to that mountain, and you can try to climb that mountain. Hallelujah. But you're not going to be able to say in that mountain and that mountain, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. But if you go to the mount that he commissioned you to go to, you're going to see some things which must be hereafter. Hey, Naaman, Naaman, go to any river you want to. I know you like the rivers uh, in Damascus better than that old muddy Jordan. You can go seven times down in the river of Damascus, but when you come up, you're still going to be leprous. That lets me know God doesn't provide in just any river. And God doesn't provide in just any mountain. And God doesn't provide in just any place. If you're going to come up and have your leprosy cleansed, you've got to go down seven times in the Jordan River because that's where God told you to go. God doesn't just provide anywhere. Listen, this is the United States of America. This is a free country. You can go anywhere you want to. And when you get insane in the membrane and you think, I'm going to leave California and I'm going to move down south or I'm going to move to the, don't come to the Midwest. It's ruined enough without you. We got enough trouble without you. You better be careful when you just pull up roots and move. Well, I felt that one hit. You better make sure you've heard from God. And you better make sure you have your pastor sanctioning. Because you may get into a place that God doesn't provide. Well, it's a church, but is it, how come y'all are sitting on me now? Is it the church God wants you to be in? You may lose your marriage. You may lose your family. You may lose your soul. You know what? If you're in Bakersfield, this is exactly where you need to be. This is exactly where you need to park your car, right here on this parking lot. Don't you have enough sense to realize God has blessed your family and God has blessed your finances and God has blessed your walk with God? You can go anywhere you want to, but God's not obligated to do beans for you. Why should God do anything for somebody who doesn't obey him? I'm sorry, is it something I said? I need a word from God. Why should God give you a fresh word when you haven't done what the previous word said? Well, I'm waiting for God to talk to me. I'll tell you where God talks to you from. That pulpit right there. Listen, listen let me, hey, let, let Uncle McDonald help some of you today. Do you know how you can lower your blood pressure? I'm going to tell you, I know unsolicited advice is seldom heeded, but I'm going to help you lower your blood pressure, okay? Get off of Facebook. Get off of Instagram. Do you know why? Some of you are more interested in what a church is doing 1,500 miles away than involving yourself in your own local assembly. I can't wait to get out on Sunday night so I can get on YouTube and see what the big church is doing. You're a fool. You need to put your energy and your resources and your time and your ability right here. Don't you want to know what God has for Bakersfield? Don't you want to know what God has for you right here at Bakersfield? And I, I think it's funny. We all got a XYZ because of the TV advertising. And, and some of our churches look worse than the charismatic churches with what they're doing on Facebook and YouTube. We're imitating the imitators. Huh? The charismatics imitate us. 
want to tell you something. I'm not just non-Trinitarian. I'm anti-Trinitarian. I'm not just a non-Trinitarian denomination, amen, on Miller Avenue in Shelbyville. I am anti-Trinitarian. And no matter how much they might sing like us and pray like us and even talk in tongues like us, they're not us. Is that too hard for you? And they're imitating our worship. And they're imitating our songs. And then what do the stupid Pentecostals do? We imitate the imitators. You know what builds churches like this? It's not a movie production. It's not a lighting system. It's not putting videos on the screen. It's letting Jesus call us up higher so we can see the things which be after. Abraham went up to the mountain. Y'all still with me? I'm not mean and ugly, am I? I'm working on the ugly part. Can't do too much about that. I don't know about the mean part. Abraham went up to the mountain. And he lifted up his eyes. And he lifted up his eyes to see the place. When you see the provision, it doesn't just happen anywhere. You got to go to the place that God called you to. And when he climbed that mountain as an old man, he saw 2,000 years down the road. What do you mean he saw 2,000 years down the road? Let's put Jesus on the witness stand. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. When did Abraham see the day of Christ? When he came up higher on the mountain where God called him to be. That's why he named the place Jehovah Jireh. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. I don't know about you, but I want to know what he knows. And I want to see what he sees. And I want to experience what he has in his hand. We're going to have to come up higher. So I just don't take my hat. If I wore a hat, I'd lift it off like this. Not just to Abraham, but to Isaac. He went. I think it's great Abraham went, but his son went. Why did the son go? I'm glad you asked. The son went because the father went. Hey, church, if we want the next generation to catch this, then we're going to have to come up higher. You say, I don't understand. I don't understand why little Herschel doesn't worship. That's because dad doesn't worship. Oh, no, you're, I didn't come from Indiana just for you to sit on me and act like your rear end's Velcroed to the pew. You know I'm telling you the truth. I just wonder why, I wonder why little Jeanette and little Agnes don't get behind the preacher. That's because mom doesn't get behind the preacher. Come on, moms and dads. Come on, grandma and grandpa. If you want your kids and grandkids to come up higher, you've got to come up higher. We got to show them what apostolic is about. I wish I had some Pentecostals to help me preach. We got to show them what holiness is. We got to show them what running the aisle. Hey, you shouldn't let a brother run the aisle by himself. I'm not running. I'm too fat. But you shouldn't let him run by himself. This is how you have church. This is how you worship. This is how you touch God. This is how you back a preacher. Come up higher. Come up higher. Come up higher. too much of my pastor in me what in the world's with this Dr. Spock generation or what do they call this gentle parroting you don't spank your kids where were you when Daniel and Donna McDonald were raising me when I was in the seventh grade I took a uh, a wood shop class, I made mom, I made mom a cutting board out of oak with a handle. She didn't cut any bread, per se.
You know all these series about left behind? That's exactly where I got it. <laughs> Slapping us upside the head and hitting us with brooms. My parents ought to be in jail. But look, I turned out to be a fine, respectable citizen. There was no gentle parenting. That's why your kids are a bunch of heathens. And that's why they embarrass you in church and in the restaurant. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he shall not depart from it. I'm going to give you to the count of five. That's because you're lazy. You need to teach your kids and train them. I want you to know it's not the Sunday school teacher's job to raise your kids. And it's not the Christian school's job to raise your kids. It's your job to parent your kids. This is how we live. This is what pleases God. This is how we submit to the pastor. Then when they're 19 and 20, you're crowding up the pastor's office because your daughter's pregnant out of wedlock and your son's a homosexual and you can't have any reign and constraint on them. That's because you didn't do it when they were two or three. And you wonder why our kids hate the church? We don't teach them to love the church. That pulpit, that your home ought to be an extension of that pulpit. We need homes to come up higher. Listen, I don't have time to get into it, but I believe Jesus turned the water into wine. He didn't turn it into juicy juice. He turned it into wine. There, I said it, and I'm just going to go on from there. But you know where the first miracle was? In the marriage in Cain of Galilee, it was in a home. Weddings took place in the home. I ain't got no help up in here. Well, after 80 years, you surely are still serving Mogan David for communion, aren't you? The first miracle was in a home, and it was at a wedding. That ought to tell us something. Homes ought to be a place of the miraculous. Homes ought to be a place where Jesus is welcome. Homes ought to be a place where the presence of God can show up and do what nobody else can do. So it's not just coming up higher on Sunday and higher on Tuesday Bible class. We've got to come up higher in our home, in our devotion, in our prayer life, in our public life. Come up higher. And I don't need you texting me telling me I'm wrong. I'm tired of that stuff. If you're so smart, how come you're not preaching this then? I get anonymous letters, you coward. Well, you shouldn't preach it this way. This is the only way I know how to preach. I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of carnality. I'm tired of superficial church. Where the, where the pew is as dead as the sermon. And there's no life. And there's no sip. I want to come up higher. Call me up higher. That's why when we come to church, we lift our hands. My mother ought to beat you with the cutting board if you come to church and you got your hands in your pockets like this. We lift up our hands. And we lift up our head. And we lift up our voice. And we lift up our praise. And when we come to church, we dress up. Why do we dress up? You know, the apostles didn't wear a suit. The apostles didn't wear a tie. I'm so sick of this stuff. You know what, young men, if you're a preacher, look like a preacher. Dress like a preacher. You know, I think it's funny. These guys buy $1,200 Bibles, never read them. You just carry it around like you think you're big stuff. And I don't know what's worse, that we wear real Rolexes or fake ones. Kind of hard to, for me to hear you preach a woman ought to take her wedding band on when you got a $20,000 Rolex on your wrist. And then you're so image-based, you don't even have a real one. It's fake. You got that in Honduras because I was there when you bought it. You and your tie tacks and your cuff links. No, I, I wear that because it holds my, my tie in place. And I, then why when you lift your hands, you and your cheap Rolex, you do this? 
you think it's time we get real and transparent? Hey, I'm, I'm, if we start preaching be real, our women are going to have to get rid of their hair, their purses. There's too many women in Pentecost. They're like the Apostle Paul with their hair. They die daily. We don't need that stuff. That's not how this church was built. It wasn't built on custom suits. It wasn't built on alligator shoes, and that's fine in their place. It was built on a bunch of people that said, we got to come higher. We want to go higher. We want to see some things that nobody else knows. Oh, let's worship the Lord. I wear, I dress up when I go to church because I still believe the sacred is special. And we still have a pulpit. And we still preach from the Bible because we're coming up higher. There's not one Jew that ever said, let us go down to the house of God. Why? Because God put the holy city on the top of the mountain. And when they would make their pilgrimage, you know, Israel, the males had to go to, to the holy city three times a year. Passover, Pentecost, and booths. Three, three times. Not empty-handed. You know why only three times? Because God knew we couldn't stand each other more than three times. We got all these meetings, and none of them are helping us. And I preach them, and I have them. We're not praying more. We're not teaching more Bible studies. We're not any more consecrated. There's nothing greater than the local assembly. Hey, Peak is great, but your church is greater than Peak. Camp meeting's great. But your church is greater than camp meeting. Well, I wish my pastor preached like this. Hallelujah, that evangelist didn't baptize you. That evangelist didn't give you money when you couldn't pay your bill. That evangelist isn't going to give you a chicken dinner when your grandma dies. You've got to love your pastor. You've got to love your local assembly. You've got to love your city. And let God... You know what? When you're done at peak, go home and have church in your home church like you did at peak. And when you leave camp, go home and worship God in your home church like you did at camp. When the pilgrims would go to, is this okay? I, I, am I ruining this? Can I come and preach the next 80th? 160 years from now. They prayed this psalm as they made their way. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Why did they pray that? Why did that? There's the clock. I'm just making believe like I'm interested. I honestly could care less. 9, 10, 11, It's 12.30 almost at home. Hallelujah. When Israel made their trek to the house of God, it was always going up. Let us go up to the house of God. And when they would offer sacrifice, the sacrifice would go up. Worship was so powerful in Israel, the queen of the south made a long journey to see King Solomon. And she heard all these tales, and she heard all these rumors. She said, but when I saw your servants make their ascent into the house of God, the way they went up, the way that they lifted their hands, the way they lifted their voice, the way they projected their adoration and their faith to your God, who you have no idols, you have no images, you can't see them, you sure enough can feel them. The Bible Bible says when she saw how they went up, there was no more spirit in her. You know, to draw the sinner to every service is a church that'll worship and lift Jesus up. And when you lift him up, he said, I'll draw. I know that's Calvary, but there's something about worship. When you begin to lift him up, he draws. Oh, man. climb higher to be seen we climb higher to see there are some things I want to see okay let me, let me get to my sermon it's good the particular vision in Revelation 4 
it's organized as a worship service. It's an ongoing service of praise. The four living creatures cry out, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, was, is, is to come. The beasts give honor, glory and honor, and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. They worship him that liveth forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and they say, You're worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. You've created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. In Revelation 4, it's worship of God as creator. Okay? The angels focus on his holiness. The 4 and 20 focus on his worthiness. Okay? Now let's go to Revelation 5. In Revelation 5, praise and worship continue to play a prominent role in Revelation. How, <laughs> man, this is so good. I'm going to schedule my own revival. This is, this is good. There is a pivotal change in heavenly transactions. There is a stark difference in contrast between the worship in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. What has happened, in my opinion... Revelation 5 is the crucial moment in heaven's history because John sees the entire landscape of heaven changed. What causes the change? It's the ascension of Christ. John is the unique apostle who sees the ascension from two places. If I wasn't so fat, I'd be dancing and running. Look at, look at, when I'm done rejoicing, I'm still rejoicing. I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited about this. What did Joe Booker say? We're, we're 60 some, uh, no, Buxton, I'm sorry. 60 some percent water, so I'm not fat, I'm just drowning. Every now and then my wife says, hey, you need to lose weight. You know what I told her? Fat people are harder to kidnap, so leave me alone. I'm just so excited about this. I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. I'm about to, I'm sorry, I forgot where I was. I forgot where I was. But there's an entire change. There's an entire change in the scenery in heaven. Amen. John gets to see the ascension from two places. He saw it among the 11 on the Mount of Olives when the glory cloud, the same cloud that would come over the tabernacle, the same cloud that would come into Solomon's temple on the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go in and stand before the of the covenant it comes to the Mount of Olives and it receives our Lord into the heaven John saw the ascension from earth to heaven but when he accepted the invitation to come up higher he gets to see the ascension not from earth to heaven he gets to see the ascension from heaven's point of view that's what changes the landscape in heaven chapter 4 no lamb chapter 4 no ascended Christ Chapter 5, he has ascended into the heavens and everything changes. And John highlights the centrality of the Lamb. 5 and 6, behold and lo in the midst of the throne, in the middle of the throne, in the middle of the four beasts, in the middle of the elders, stood a Lamb as it had been slain. Seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. Seven and seventeen. The lamb which is in the middle of the throne shall feed them. That's what changes heaven. John is taken to the center of the universe. And the center of the universe is the lamb. On Moriah, Isaac asked his father, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Where is the lamb? John answers the question upon baptizing our Lord. And he said, behold the lamb. And there are people today, you are either in one of two categories. You are either looking for the lamb or you have been introduced to the lamb. Hallelujah. And in this place, most of us, we're not looking for the lamb. We've been introduced to the lamb. Behold the lamb. And when you know who the lamb is, then you step into eternity. And the monotonous, eternal refrain of heaven is worthy is the lamb. That's the center of all eternity. No wonder why Paul said of Jesus, all things are to him, all things are from him, and all things are for him.
Who's worthy to open the book? Loose the seals. John wept. Couldn't find a man. No man in heaven, no man in earth, no man under the earth. But the elder told him, stop weeping, John. We found somebody who's got a name above every name in heaven. We found someone who's got a name above every name in the earth. We found someone who's got a name that's greater than every name under the earth. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And with that Davidic language in Revelation 5, it's the lamb that makes the difference. It's not just a lion. It's a lion-lamb figure. And when that just who give me five more minutes. This, this is really good stuff. Raise your hand if you'll give me five minutes. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty, sixty, sixty. They fall down and worship. How am I doing, Bishop Best? I don't want to interrupt your texting there or your timing me. <laughs> Let me draw your attention to Revelation 4 one more time. And 5. There's so many crazy interpretations of Revelation. One more is not going to hurt. Did you notice in Revelation 5, there's no spectators? When the Lamb gets into the sanctuary of God in the very heavens, there's nobody watching. There's no bystanders. Everything worships. Everything moves. You know what? When we start watching, we in trouble. In fact, when we start watching, that's a sure sign that God's presence isn't among us. I wish I had time to preach to you about the golden calf. You know what the golden calf is? The golden calf is like committing adultery on your honeymoon night. That's how serious this was. And they said, we don't know what happened to Moses. Make us a God. Moses comes down. He says, Aaron, what happened? He said, I don't know. I built the fire and it came out. God was so mad with his people he left the camp and he went into the tabernacle of the congregation, which is not Moses' tabernacle. Moses' tabernacle hadn't been built yet. God left them. Moses was allowed to go to the tent. Joshua was allowed to go to the tent. You ready for this? But the people could only stay home and worship and watch. When you stay home and you worship and you watch, the presence of God has left you. We weren't meant to watch what I'm not talking about shut-ins. I'm not talking about people that are sick and can't get here. Hallelujah. We're not meant to be entertained. We're meant to be participants. Some of you haven't opened your mouth all service. Say, I'm waiting until he gets to the good part. We're already at the good part. We're not here to observe. We're here to worship. We're here to lift them. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy. I've got to go. I've got to go. Here's the, I'm cutting through so much, okay? There's a big difference between the worship in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Hear me. In chapter 4, there's worship, but there's no singing. In chapter 4, there's worship, but there's no musical instruments. In chapter 4, the angels are saying. The elders are saying. No singing. No musical instruments. And they're worshiping God for creation. But when you get to chapter 5, <laughs> everything changes. God elevates and glorifies words. How in the world can God glorify words? He glorifies words with singing. How can God glorify singing? He glorifies singing with musical instruments. Chapter 4, no singing. Chapter 4, no music. You know why? Chapter 4, no lamb. Chapter 5, when the Lamb makes his entrance into heaven, God says, now it's time for singing. Now it's time for music. The book of Judges is not a, in the time of Samuel, things are not good. Honestly, I'm, I'm done.
I never preach here again, you'll be so glad when they put me on a plane back to Indiana. But just, just let me tell you this. The, the Levitical priesthood, they're not held in high regard in the book of uh, uh, Judges. Samuel, thank God, he's good. But, but there, there's a horrible time in Israel's history. Amen. When Israel's at war with the Philistines. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. And, and, and the Philistines take the ark captive. Amen. And, and Eli is reproved for his sons, but he won't ring them in. And, and then he gets, words, he gets word that both of his sons, who I mean, this is a bad time in Israel's history. His sons are fornicating with the virgin women around the, the tabernacle. There is no open vision. The nation reflects Eli, the, the priest and the judge of Israel. He can't see. He's blind. The lamp of God is just about to go out. He gets word that his backslid kids, amen, are killed in battle. And it's worse than that. The Ark of the Covenant has been taken captive. And when he heard that, because he was a a heavy man. He fell backward in his chair and he broke his neck. Anytime, anytime you read about Israel and, and the Philistines, that's the story of Egypt being replayed over and over again. Why do I say that? Because the Philistines are Egyptians. They were cultured by the Greeks, but they came from Egypt. So anytime, if you're not going to say amen, at least look amen. Anytime Israel's at war with the Philistines. That's Israel's story of the Exodus being played over and over again. And now it's not Israel that goes into captivity. It's God that goes into captivity when they steal the Ark of the Covenant. And just like Israel spoiled the Egyptians, God spoils the Philistines. He starts cursing them, and they're getting hemorrhoids and all that. Hemorrhoids, sorry, I should uh, there it is, I just said it. And if you don't know what that is, you have no business being here anyway. Hey, it's the Bible. Don't make me feel like I'm a dirty preacher because I preach the Bible. There it is. Hallelujah. I don't know what golden ones are and golden mice. I don't want nothing to do with it. Hallelujah. But they said, we got to get rid of this thing. So you know what they do? They put it on a cart and they have two milk cows pull it. Right? Everybody still happy? Yeah, I bet you are after I said that, aren't you? Seven months later, the ark ends up in a Gibeonite town. It ends up in the house of Obed-Edom. And, and Israel gets this grand idea. That we're going we're gonna to do what the Philistines did. We're going to put God's ark on a cart, and it's going to be pulled by oxen. And when the oxen stumble, the ark shakes. And Uzzah puts forth his hand to steady the ark. It's not the ark that needs steadying. It's not an ark problem. It's an oxen problem. And you don't bring the ark of the covenant back home. That's not how you treat a conquering king. God just spoiled the Philistines. That's why they sent them. Just take these cows and just let them go wherever they want to go. Amen. You know how you carry a king in those days? You, you take him in his chair. You take him in his sedan. And you, put, you lift that king up in that chair. And you parade him through the streets on your shoulders like he's a conquering king. I'm almost done preaching here. That's how God said the Levites were supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders that ark made of wood but overlaid with gold it had to be heavy they weren't running through the town when they carried that ark it was heavy interestingly enough the Hebrew word for heavy and glory are the same words hallelujah we got to be careful how we carry the glory we got to be careful how we treat the glory we got to be careful how we entreat God's glory And so David fights Goliath. David fights Goliath, which again is the story of the Exodus. Amen. When you read Goliath, he's described in serpentine terms. Read about his armor. The only other person in the Bible who's described in serpentine terms like that is Pharaoh. And God said, I'm going to put a hook in his jaw and I'm going to pull that serpent out of the river. So here we go. We got Israel against Pharaoh. We got Israel against the Philistines. <laughs> I wish I had time to preach. I, I don't. I, I, quit. I'm going to. I know when a preacher says it doesn't mean nothing, but I got, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking to quit here. And God made a promise to Israel. Excuse me. God made a promise to the first man and woman that the seed of the 
woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. So when David throws that rock in the air, it hits Goliath where? In the head. That's Genesis 3.15. <laughs> Goliath falls down face first. David, well, I mean, this is great. They didn't teach me this stuff in Sunday school. They gave me the cute stories, right? They should have put that story of the man in Judges that hacked up his wife into 12 pieces. Can you imagine that on the flannel graph? <laughs> Samson killing a thousand with the jawbone of a dog. We got the cute stories. David jumps on Goliath, takes us. So watch, this, this is our history here, okay? My notes say you're going to shout over this. As soon as you shout me out, we can go eat. <laughs> Was that you, Hodge? He cuts his head off, takes his armor, puts it in his tent, and sticks his two fingers in Goliath's eyeballs in his mouth and carries them like a bowling ball. And he puts that head in Jerusalem. Why did he put it in Jerusalem? I think I know. Because when Melchizedek came to bless Abram, and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek brought him bread and wine, Melchizedek was the priest of Jerusalem. So David's already got this theology of Jerusalem. And he carries the head of Goliath and he puts it there as if to say, this is a prelude of what's to come in this city. I haven't found anything to negate it. I haven't found anything to make me think otherwise. This is just a possibility. But I've read both Jewish writing and other writing that says Golgotha, the place that Jesus Christ was crucified, the place of the skull is a compound name for Goliath of Gath. And the seed of the woman crushed the head of the serpent when they lifted him up on the cross. Hallelujah. And all enemies were subdued under his feet. Okay, here, here, here's one. Now David becomes king. And we've got this ark. In fact, let the music come because we're going to do something here. And if this doesn't work, I'm going to look like the biggest fool in Pentecost. David, he's got the Ark of the Covenant. And they bring it home with shouting. And they bring it home with dancing. And they bring it home with rejoicing. Where does the Ark go? Does it go back to Moses' tabernacle? Never again. What does he do with the Ark? He puts it in a tent, which is the tabernacle of David. And everything is revolutionary for Israel. Because to the best of my ability, y'all still out there? The best of my ability, Moses' tabernacle has no singing associated with it. Moses' tabernacle has no words associated with it. There are no musical instruments. The trumpets don't count. They're not for worship. They're for signaling. But David, when he puts that ark in the tabernacle of David... Things start to revolutionize in Israel. Now we're going to have 10,000 people. That's a big choir. That's a big orchestra. That's a bunch of singers. And they're on the payroll. So every one of you who are up here singing, you need to be in your pastor's office Sunday saying, David put his singers on a payroll. Why can't you put me on a payroll? There. <laughs> Isn't that nice that I did that? And now the sacrifice of praise is singing. The sacrifice of praise is dancing. The sacrifice of praise is music. What made the difference? When David took the throne, everything in worship as far as Israel concerned has been revolutionized. David's got a greater son. There's a greater David. Not King David, King David Jesus. When he ascends into the heaven and he sits on the throne, now it's time for singing. Now it's time for worship. Now it's time for musical instruments.
Chronicles 25 and 1. First Chronicles, I'm wore out. I gotta, I'm on a keto unfriendly diet. I gotta do something. We all look the same in the dark. The problem is the light's gotta come on, right? Come on, come on, come on. First, who's putting it up there, a man or a woman? If it's a woman, I won't yell at her. If it's a man, come on. That ain't it. One, verse one. Hermana. Here, here it is. I'll break out my Spanish. I'll probably be cussing or something. Moreover, I, I've, I've tried to use the language my boys use. I got in so much trouble. Forget that. Moreover, David and the captains of the host separated to the service of the son of Asaph and He-Man. Worshippers are He-Man. Real men fry bacon with their shirts off. Don't put that bacon in an air fryer. Get in the skillet. And if you're a man, dress like a man and worship like a man and walk like a man. Walk like a man. Talk like a man. Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps, psalteries, cymbals. Okay, you know what this is? This is David and the captains of the army appointing worshipers, singers, and musicians to be a part of the army of the Lord. When you roll up on the church property, you are on assignment. You guys are the frontliners. You musicians are warriors. There's no telling how many spirits of Antichrist the singing has pushed off of this congregation tonight. There's no telling how many evil spirits have been pushed off of this congregation today by the music and by the play. Hey, that See, when they did that, you stood out. Christ. When's the last time you talked in tongues? When's the last time you wept? When's the last time you shouted? When's the last time you jumped up and down? 